Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick, snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says, If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, O High Priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men, symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stones I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbour to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Morning. Uh, my name's Jamie, I'm one of the ministers here. Let's pray as we open up uh, this part of God's Word. God our Father, our Lord and King, we pray that you might speak to us this morning. We pray that you might soften our hearts to hear your Word. And we pray that you might change and challenge, that you might comfort and confront that by your word this morning you might shape us more and more into the likeness of Jesus, that you might shape us more and more into who we already are in you. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus and the honour of your name. Amen. Well, this morning uh, we are jumping into the fourth vision of uh, Zechariah so far, and it is a vision, it's a vision of laundry. Not sure whether you saw that. The worst kind of laundry that there is. The high priest Joshua. Joshua is the high priest at the time of Zechariah's ministry. And in this fourth vision, Zechariah sees Joshua as the high priest standing in this heavenly courtroom scene. He's standing before the throne of God. And the high priest, the high priest's role was to to represent the people of God to God. And he is covered not in kind of his finely ordained robes, but he is covered in filthy rags. Soiled clothes. In fact, kind of the word that's used uh, denotes kind of drunken vomit or human excrement.
And as he stands before God, Zechariah sees a third figure. He sees Satan standing at his right hand, hurling accusations, not against God, against Joshua, against the people of God. Accusations day and night. And there stands Joshua with no place to hide, no way to cover up, no way to kind of shift the blame, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, completely exposed. What I imagine for a lot of us is actually kind of our worst fear, right? So many, uh, so how many of you have had that nightmare where kind of you're at a party or something like that, you're at school, and suddenly you realize you're not wearing any clothes? And so you kind of just have to run through the party that, for some reason, the, the exit's always at the other side of everyone. And so you kind of got to just run and cover up whatever you can. And yet here stands Joshua, completely exposed, plain for all to see the guilt and the shame. The guilt and the shame that so many of us uh, hold and feel the weight of, if we are honest, at different times. Uh, For many of us, it plays itself out in situations like this. When someone gives you a compliment, you you think a little voice inside your head goes, they're only saying that because they feel like they have to. Or, if they knew the real me, they would never say that. That when someone tells you you're awesome or says you've done a great job, that there's this great fear of if they knew the real me, actually they, actually not just would they not say that, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And this is why we play games at church. This is why you rocked up in the car park this morning and you said to your kids, don't mention the fight. Everyone, masks on. Let's go. Everyone's happy. Right? Clearly some people, you're just kind of measuring, okay, did I laugh too loud then? Does everyone know that that was me this morning, right? And we play games where we pretend like our greatest issue is just that uh, we're not reading the Bible enough or we're not praying enough. That we never really are honest with brothers and sisters in our small group with close friends at church, about some of the the deep heart issues that we're wrestling with, struggling with, feeling like we're drowning, feeling like the black paint is just kind of filling our mouth and pouring into our lungs. That if they really knew what I struggle with, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. And yet, here's the beautiful thing about Zechariah 3. 
what Zechariah sees, he sees that God is fully aware of who Israel is. He's fully aware of who Israel is. He's not ignorant of their shortcomings. He's not blind to their waywardness. He sees them completely to the depth of their filth. And still, what does he say in verse 4? He still says, I have chosen them. Uh, I remember once, a couple of years ago, uh, we found some cheap, we've got good friends in Canada and uh, we uh, found some cheap flights to Canada and it was Jacob was just about to get to the agent stage where we would have to pay for a flight for him. So we're like, okay, let's go over beforehand. And so we'll, we decided to go over, stay with some friends there. And when you've got kind of like an 18-month-old, you fill up the plane with mostly just stuff for your kid. And so we've packed a 1,001 bags and you've got spare nappies, you've got spare clothes in case of a blowout, you've got a million different things, right? And so we hop on this plane, we're about an hour and a half in to an 18-hour flight. About an hour and a half into an 18-hour float, Jacob blows out. Like, uh, have you ever seen a volcano erupt? Like, that's kind of what we're talking. Like, pilots online, mayday, mayday, we have a situation in the internal plane. No. Like, so, it's like, okay, I get up, I'm carrying Jacob. I think Amy's like, man, I'm glad Jamie's closest to the bathroom here. He's yours. And so I get up. I go to the bathroom and you're trying to change him in this tiny, tiny space, right? And um, he's not playing ball, but you kind of eventually get him clean. And I look down and I see that in my carrying him to the bathroom, I have got his business all over my business. And so we brought spare shirts and shorts for Jacob... Not for Jamie. And so I'm going, what do we do? Because I can't sit topless for 18 hours on the seat. And so I'm there in the bathroom trying to get Jacob to stay still while kind of washing my shirt and my pants in the sink in the bathroom, trying to put soap on it, just trying to get rid of it. Finally, kind of <laughs> do everything, sit down. Amy, you're not going to believe it. I don't want to talk about it. I'll deal with it. Let me talk to a counsellor first, then I'll talk to you. And then so, um, but I just need to take Jacob for a bit. And I'm sitting there and I I could just, I could smell it. And I don't know if it, even to this day, whether you really could smell it or whether it was just in my head. But just that scent, that stain that I scribed and scribed and scribed, and yet I was sure I I couldn't get rid of it. And I was sure everyone else sitting 
too close to me could smell it. That God sees Israel. He does not think they are someone they are not. And that God sees you for all that you really are. That God does not think you are someone you are not. That God does not love someone you are not. There can be this fear sometimes when we play games, when you're first dating someone and you pretend you're on your best behaviour, it's like an audition, and then there can be this stage, right, where whether that happens in dating or whether it happens in the first year of marriage when you start to kind of drop the audition and you're like, sushi actually isn't that great. When you suddenly have this fear of actually if they're seeing me for who I really am, Maybe they'll leave. Maybe they loved who I was pretending to be. God does not love who you are pretending to be. That he loves Israel, that he loves you, knowing full well that you are a train wreck, that you are a hypocrite, that you are prone to think terrible thoughts, that you are prone to wander, both willingly and through addiction, that you are stuck and stained. And knowing that, what does God do? What is his response to Satan's accusations? His response to Satan's accusations is to rebuke Satan. Notice that he doesn't deny Satan's accusations. Notice he doesn't kind of downplay and try to kind of justify or uh, or even dismiss the accusations. Rather, he simply rebukes Satan and says, no, 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 no. This, verse 4, is the one I have chosen. Verse 4, this is the one I have rescued. This is the stick that I have plucked from the fire. Notice who's active in all of that. Notice who's passive. The stick. You, me, right? God is like, this is the one I have chosen, the one covered in filth and grime. And this is the one I have chosen to rescue and make mine. So, he says to the angel, verse 4, take off his filthy clothes. Why? Because I have chosen him. Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin and will put fine garments on you. If you're a highlighter or an underliner in your Bible, just kind of underline that. Then I will put a clean turban on his head. 
So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. Notice the shift here. There is both uh, a discarding, a taking off, a removal of kind of the sin-soiled stained clothes of his people, of Joshua. There is a discarding of that filth which once clung to him, which once clothed him. But there is more than just the removal of the filthy clothes. There is a clothing, a giving of fine new linen. This is, what's on view is not just forgiveness granted, but righteousness given. And righteousness is kind of one of those words that I think sometimes we um, just don't really grasp in church world. And, and I've said this before, often when we hear righteousness, we just think, oh, my sins have been forgiven. That's what we're talking about. No, 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 no. Righteousness is not sins forgiven. Forgiveness is sins forgiven. Forgiveness, if you will, is basically a negative. Forgiveness is you are now free from the punishments that are due to you. And that's a good thing. You are free from the punishments that are due justly to you. But righteousness is more than forgiveness. Righteousness is a positive. It is the bestowal of a status with all the rights and all the privileges that go with that. You do something wrong, your wife might forgive you. Righteousness is her then cooking a roast dinner for you. As one commentator said this, they said, to speak of forgiveness is to say, you may go. You have been let off your penalty. But to speak of justification is to say, you may come. You are welcome into all my love and my presence. Uh, There's a... Uh, I really enjoyed the show when I was younger, NCIS, uh, for kind of crime investigation show. And one of the episodes, there was uh, an older gentleman. He's in his thirties. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. He, he's in he's in his eighties. He's in his eighties, and um, and he is a, a war veteran that's come back, and he um is allegedly guilty of murder. And while he is kind of in his state coming back from the war, he's he's, uh, broken and withered and frail and his memory is going and he's sitting in this seat and the, the military police come to arrest him. And as the police come and they, these military police, these two huge guys stand in front of him with the handcuffs, the, the old man, he, he stands up on shaky legs and he holds out his hands for them to cuff him. 
and while he's holding out his hands, one of the detectives standing next to him reaches across and pulls the man's blazer to the side and the military police see that this man is wearing the Congressional Medal of Honour. And the two military police snap to attention. There's an immediate shift. They go from arresting the man to saluting him. Why? Because they are saluting the medal. Because the medal represents all of those who had died, who had shed their blood, so that freedom could be had. The medal represented all of the honour, all of the heroism, all of the sacrifice, all of the glory, and so they salute the medal. And they stand at attention. Forgiveness is like getting released from jail and having your crimes wiped clean. Righteousness is like receiving the Medal of Honor. And it is this medal that is bestowed upon Joshua. It is these clothes that are that he is re-clothed with, redressed with. It is this new identity, this new status that he has now been given. He is no longer one who is wearing these filthy garments. He is one who is wearing the robes of God. About eight or nine years ago, I... Um, we're studying one of, for one of my final exams, and I still remember I was sitting in um, this top kind of study room of the area I was living in, and I was poring over kind of textbooks and notepads and kind of this and that, trying to cram as much as I could in for the exam in like 12 hours time, and I came across this scrap, and I still remember it. It's a scrap that was written by a guy called Michael Horton, a theologian. He said this, he said, Where most people think that the goal of religion is to get people to become something they are not. The scriptures call believers to become more and more what they already are in Christ. Yeah. Where most people think that the goal of religion is to get people to become something they are not, the scriptures call believers to become more and more what they already are in Christ. And I'm guessing you and you don't feel this way most of the time. This is why Paul in kind of 1 Corinthians 6, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, I should have bookmarked this. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Paul is talking to a church that is 
messy and broken, and he says this. He says, um, Would you not rather be wronged? Would you not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. Right? So that's not a great start for them. Uh, uh, And you do this, who? To your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that... uh, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, uh, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Do you hear what he's saying? And he, like, I've done church world long enough. I've walked with people long enough to know that for those who struggled with greed when they became a Christian, that it wasn't just a light switch where they now no longer s- stopped struggling with greed. That for those who had a problem lying, that lying became a, a, something that they didn't just forever s- stop doing. And yet, what's Paul's point here? Paul's point is that that their struggles, that their sin is no longer who they actually are. That that's not their identity anymore. Rather, they are not their sin, they are not their struggles, they are those who have been washed. You are those who have been cleansed. You are those who have been sanctified. You are those who have been justified. To become more and more what we already are in Christ. Verse 8. Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of the things to come, so what he's saying is, what's just happened is a symbol of the things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. That's kind of a messianic title in the Old Testament. The Messiah, the branch. See the stone I've set in front of you, Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it. So here's what he's saying. I am going to write this down. I'm going to write this down, and notice who's writing it down? God, right? So, and what's he writing on? He's writing it in stone, not paper, so that for generations and generations and generations, they will be able to see these words and will remember it. Right? We, I I looked this up, um, we can read hieroglyphs from 5,000 years ago. That's a long time. I will write this down on stone. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In a single day. That one day, when my servant, the branch, comes, 
Zechariah, this great transaction that you have seen, this great cleansing, this great washing, this great love that you have seen, I will do it all in one day. And it was on that day in Calvary where Christ was led up, where he was stripped naked, where he was covered in filthy rags, spat on, covered in grime. Why? Because he was putting on our rags, our clothes, our soiled garments. And he put them on before the throne of men so that we could stand before the throne of God wearing his robes, wearing his righteousness. How about I pray? Well, we are so quick to, I guess, give credit um, to... The accusations of the enemy, accusations of our own conscience, and yet help us to remember who we really are, who we truly are in you. Help us to remember what you have done for us, how you have restored us, how you have washed us clean. And we pray that that might give us both great confidence in going forward and Give us both the ability even just to not take ourselves so seriously. That we might be, that we might knowing who we were and knowing what you have done for us, that we might have confidence in our identity in you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.